Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Chris Forward, and we are talking about online presentation. So, during the chat, when I've gone away and I've done a little bit of a reflection, I've been thinking about um, some of the things that I, I kind of talked about and how I can sometimes get into my head when I'm talking about um, certain phrases and therapies. And I referred to part of my book where I talk about plastic parents. And I don't mean plastic as in um, the material. What I mean is uh, something that I'm just going to give you a little explanation around. So I use transactional analysis when I'm uh, conducting therapy, if you like, as part of um, part of my foundational way of working. And quite often, I will explain to people about how we get our needs met during the day. And quite often, we do this through something called stroke economy. So this is where we either give positive or negative strokes. Now, this sometimes doesn't make sense to a lot of people, particularly children. So I talk about warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. So for those listening, I'm going to give you a little bit of an audio description as we go along. But here is my warm fuzzy. And I give a little bit of a, an explanation to the children that this is a little warm fuzzy, which is an Empower Orb, the yellow one. So I think this was the yellow one. And what I, this is like a compliment. This is conditional. And this is about saying, uh, I really like something about you something that you've done and i don't say because you were and give a condition with it so you would feel nice and warm and fuzzy when you got one of these conversely we have the cold prickly so this is the little blue uh orb um it's a little blue uh round thing with feet uh, for those listening on the podcast uh on itunes and this one isn't so nice this is where it might be a sarcastic comment it might be a criticism and it doesn't feel very nice. Now, when I'm talking to children, we talk about that sometimes you can get things disguised as other things. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pretend just for a minute that I'm putting on a little yellow coat over the warm, uh, over the cold prickly. So to all intents and purposes, it might look like a warm fuzzy. Now, adults, you might have heard from somebody um, those comments such as, nice tie, but actually the person doesn't actually mean it. However, on the surface, it seems like it's a compliment, it's something nice, and it can make you feel warm and fuzzy, but actually there's a little bit of plasticness to it. It doesn't quite land in the same way. Um, and this is how I've described the plastic parenting that I refer to um, while I'm talking with Chris today. Um, and and it's, it's not a derogatory term about parenting. It's about actually, um, I think I referred to the parents who present as having wonderful children, wonderful life. And it always reminds me of the video of adolescents sitting around a dining table. I think they're in a restaurant or cafe somewhere. And they're all looking at their phones. They're not paying attention to each other. And somebody lifts the phone up to take a selfie. And lo and behold, everybody jumps in as though they're having an amazing time, smiles. And the caption underneath reads something along the lines of amazing time at such and such a place. And although we didn't get really deep into that part of the conversation 
<clears throat> in in today's episode i will be speaking to chris again because i, I really enjoyed this um and also we we kind of headed towards a subject um so i was i was making notes as we were talking and he talked about how you can become the avatar that you're you're playing and i was thinking about um uh, embodied cognition so this is something that amy cuddy talks about and this is about how you can stand in a particular stance and it can it can create certain feelings um so just as a little bit of a um a task for you try rolling yourself up into um the fetal position obviously if you're driving don't do this right now but when you get chance try this later on to tighten yourself up and say i feel wonderful it's not going to feel quite the same and then maybe stand in a superman stance you know hands on your hips or arms above your head and say something along the lines of i feel really depressed it just doesn't seem to work so if you want any more information on that go and watch uh, amy cuddy's ted talk um and that's embodied cognition um and then i began thinking actually when we were talking about the presentation of ourselves and political leanings and conversations what what we are doing is similar to the conversations that i've had with justin and uh tassos so Go ahead, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the interviews that I've done with uh, Justin Sherman and uh, Tassos Arampritas, uh, which are amazing interviews in terms of the, the content uh, from, from kind of meta all the way through to micro. Um, and as always, please rate and subscribe this. Uh, for those of you on iTunes, go down to the bottom of the screen. There's stars. I would love you to give me a five-star rating so that this podcast can then be found by other people. Um, and as always, go over to www.patreon.com forward slash cybersynapse and sign up to become one of my patrons. Um, this will enable you to kind of muse over into um, some of the other stuff that I'm talking about, which I won't be doing on the podcast. That will be literally um, kept for uh, my patrons and you will get your own uh you, i'll feed back to you personally in that area and you'll be able to ask me questions um again like i said last week um just in case um by the time this goes out nobody's actually claimed them but i do have another set of holly's books um if you want to know what that's about go back to the interview with holly and martin um and for now take care have a wonderful week and i look forward to speaking to you next week bye bye Welcome to CyberSynapse. Today I'm joined by Dr. Chris Fullwood. He is a reader in cyberpsychology at the University of Wolverhampton. He is a researcher, cyberpsychology academic, and good old good old round person in terms of uh, chatting about everything cyber. But today we're going to focus mainly on online presentations, aren't we? In terms of um, self, yeah, self, but also avatars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So yeah, um, the area that I suppose is my area of expertise, um, although I do research in quite a few different areas, um, but the one thing I guess that connects most of the research that I've been doing over the last decade or so, it's difficult for me to accept that I've been an academic for that long, <laughs> um, is self-presentation or impression management. Um, and how being online uh, affects the ways in which we can present the self to others. 
um, the way it impacts on how others might perceive us, how they might judge yeah. us in different variety of different online contexts. And ultimately, if you follow it through, how uh, presenting the self online or via different types of technology uh, can then feed back into your own perceptions of how you view yourself. Yes. Yes. So just having a more flexible approach to presenting the self in perhaps sometimes more idealized ways, does that then make you feel better about yourself or does it make you feel worse mm -hmm. about yourself? Mm. That's the kind of stuff that I've been looking at, but I've also um, written a few book chapters on the topic, so I've got a relatively um, broad base of knowledge in that area. Yeah. Yeah, because first, first of all, I wanted to say that um, this was, for me, it's very, very similar to, um, so one of the modes of therapy that um, I use is something that we call internal family systems. And what you look at are the many forms of self. But then again, uh, it could be called roles, couldn't it, in terms of, um, you know, well, we have the mother role, we have the friend role, we have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I wanted to start with, what, what do you think... Or in fact, how do you think social media has provided us with the platform to be able to have multiple selves in terms of more than more than roles? So this might be over to you, and I'll just stay quiet for once. Okay. Well, perhaps a good place to start is if we sort of rewinding a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, a good place to start would be for us to differentiate what we mean by self-presentation and impression management. Is that, that might be a good place to start? I, absolutely, absolutely, yes. And it helps It helps for me to break things down as well. And, and I get ahead of myself. So no <laughs> no worries there, Chris, for pulling me back and going, right, now let's start at the beginning, Kath. Yeah, start right at the beginning. So you'll often find that those two terms are, are used interchangeably. I mean, technically, they do refer to different things. Mm -hmm. So if I think about um, imp um, impression management as being sort of broader and more encompassing than, say, self-presentation. Because technically, you could manage impressions about anything. I could manage someone else's impressions about you, mm -hmm. about this podcast, um, about a political party, about a film, uh, about a TV series that I wanted them to watch, and I keep bugging them every week saying, look, you've got to watch it, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, you know, that's quite low down on my list on the Netflix. Um, so you can manage impressions about almost anything. Um, but despite that, humans are, are, you know, can be quite um, self-obsessed, should we say? <laughs> and yeah. that, people tend to manage impressions about the self predominantly. And whatever you manage impressions about does communicate some form of information about the self. So if, I, if I'm, for example, trying to manage your impression about a specific TV programme, that I think you really ought to watch because it will be a life-changing experience. If, and if you don't watch it, you're going to be all the more worse for it. That still communicates some form of information about me. It tells you something about yeah. preferences. But, you know, managing impressions can tell you something about, about other things, can tell you about what I like, what my feelings are, and so on. So it still reflects back on the individual. So although impression management is about kind of anything that you try to, to change people's minds about or persuade people about something yeah the ideas objects other people um, and the fact is that you know in terms of self-presentation you know in terms of um, affecting other people's opinions about you as an individual that doesn't always necessarily just come from the self does it so 
someone else might say something about me, a third party might say something about me to someone else, and they're going to judge me on that basis. So self-presentation is essentially a, a subtype of impression management that, that relates to mm -hmm. things that are explicitly self-relevant. Okay, and of course, yeah. in, in, the, in the online world, in cyberspace, um, both impression management and self-presentation take place. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can be very uh, careful and, and calculating about how I manage impressions via my own social media accounts. On Twitter, I can decide to post images about my dogs, which I do on a regular basis, yes. or I can promote yeah. things about veganism or what have you, to try and garner a specific impression. This is how I want the world to see me. But of course, we also know, uh, and uh, a certain um, high-ranking political person in, in, a, in a country um, across the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> full, of, full, of, full of hot air, would we say? <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and a very unusual haircut. Um, he, he's very good at this, but also uh, clearly, people are managing impressions about him. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, he, he engages in self all sorts of self-presentation tactics um, to try and um, often, I guess, to um, turn your attention away from specific things that are going on, but other people will say things about him and you'll gather impressions not just about of that individual from what he says specifically, but what people say about him. So, <clears throat> yes. Well, that, that's how political, I mean, that's how you see, um, if you like, on, let's go with one of the popular social media uh, platforms, that's how you see in your Facebook feed people's political leanings straight yeah. away and it's like you see what they're sharing and why they're sharing it and also how people don't actually check what they're sharing that's my bugbear though <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot. yeah I, i'm oh, where do i go with this i've got so many my head fizzes when i'm talking to people like this because i'm like oh how many questions how many questions right I think, I mean, Go on. going back to the sort of the question that you asked at the start i mean i think it's quite interesting that you picked on on social media because i think there's there's there are a lot we don't want to think about and i'm sure all of your guests will tell you this this that we don't want to think about the internet or cyberspace as being this homogeneous entity that every area of, of mm -hmm. the online world is exactly the same because it's not there are different social norms different motivations that people have for using the different sites and there are different reasons why people go on um different kind of rules around etiquette and so on and that will have an influence on how people present themselves via those different sites and also the affordances that are provided. So when we talk about social media, most, not all forms of social media, tend to be anchored. Um, in other words, they're, they're tied to people's offline networks. So if you look at something mm -hmm. like Facebook, well, that's now, you know, particularly with young people, is, is no longer really the dominant social media provider. Mm -hmm. they're, they're turning to things like Instagram, which is much more and Snapchat, which is much more visual in terms of presentation style. But if we look at Facebook, which still has the majority share in terms of membership, mm -hmm. um, that is very much an anchored um, social media site. Because most people, not all, but will go on there, and you know, the, the majority of people that are, that are added in their network, the friends, the followers, what have you, are people that they know to some capacity, whether it's uh, friends or family or friends of a friend or people, co mm -hmm. or people yeah. that work in the next building or what have you, or someone that served them lunch once at, uh, at Subway. People that they've had some sort of contact with in the past. So they're anchored. So there's only so far they can go in that particular 
communication context in terms of in terms of self presentation. Because if they stretch it too far, then the people that know them are going to say, "Wait a minute, what's going on here? This is a very different image to the one that we're used to seeing." I think people will forgive to a certain extent uh, if people exaggerate a little bit and show off some of their good points and perhaps don't talk about so much the negative points because that's what people do anyway. Um, but in terms of kind of embodying a, a very different persona or trying to be something, experiment a little bit more with self-presentation, that's the thing that I'm really interested in is when people get the opportunity to be something completely different yeah. rather yeah. than just to kind of, you know, to be slightly more um, positive about the self or to, you know, to make subtle kind of exaggerations or as, as uh, Goffman would say, you know, the accentuation of the positive and the suppression of the negative which is more uh, yeah. offline as well. But what's really interesting about online is when people have the opportunity to explore um, a, a version of the self which might be vastly different from how they perceive themselves offline. And that's, that's pretty yeah. interesting. To, to be honest, Chris, there's, there's, there's a little bit in uh, my book where I've talked about the, the plastic parent. And what I mean by that are the parents who almost put up on social media how wonderful their family is and how much they're into yoga. And then you see them in the real world and they're slapping their kids around and, and not feeding them. And, and so and it's almost <laughs> like this this presentation of I'm, I'm a wonderful parent because I can't be seen to be struggling with this issue or that issue. And I've, I've talked about how difficult this can be in terms of, oh, I'm managing 700 children and look how wonderful I am. And, and there's no reality behind that uh, in terms of, uh, but that's why I like the unfollow button. Um, and I, I was just thinking, actually, this is, this is something I've, I'm really curious about in terms of when I see people on multiple platforms and they have one persona and, and I, I do this. I have my, my Facebook persona, which is where I'm a bit daft and I share funny, funny things. Oh, I consider them funny. And then, over on Instagram, that's all to do with a particular, it's to do with my profession. Twitter is where I'll talk to people or get into arguments or I don't get into arguments. And it's, it's kind of a daily, a daily toil about what's going on, what to react to and which kind of persona you want to present. Because given, given the chance, I might be telling people Effie Jeffy stuff going, that's incomplete, that, particularly around this gaming addiction, uh, gaming addiction and a few other things. I have been really close to um, not, not being very professional let me say yeah i've got i've got those those uh, things that push my button as well don't worry about that i think that's yeah that's all, all the same in that respect. <laughs> yeah so when when you were talking just then about uh, and i think this might take us into avatars quite nicely about the people who can present and be different so this is where possibly being in a gaming environment you can actually become somebody different so i'm thinking would you like to talk about the proteus effect I would, but can I, I thought you would. But oh. before we get into the Proteus effect, you picked up on something which is quite interesting. Before that, when you were talking about how you can be a different, you can present a different side of the self mm -hmm. on, on different platforms. And I think that's something that's worth picking up on as well because that's really interesting. So, uh, the, the 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 sort of contemporary perspective, I guess, on on, on the self is that it's multi-dimensional. Mm -hmm. don't have necessarily a kind of solitary, unitary self that's the same across all con contexts, the same with, with, you know, each, with different types of, um, in different types of social situations. That we might have a core perception of who we see ourselves as, mm -hmm. but actually um, the self is made up of a, lo a lot of different social roles and, and um, different social identities. And also, 
to a large extent, you know, um, the self is not only in the present, but it's also in the future. So as well as seeing ourselves in the here and now, mm -hmm. we can yeah. think about what we would like to become in the future or what we would like to avoid becoming in the future. And that, yeah. that motive, and that's important. So if we look at something like uh, Higgins' self-discrepancy theory. Uh, the idea they talked, he talked about the idea that, that there were three basic self conceptualizations the, the ought self, which is the self that we feel that we should be if we're living up to our duties and responsibilities. So, you know, mm -hmm. being, being a good mother, for example, um, turning up to work on time, that kind of stuff. The actual self, the way we see ourselves in the here and now, and then the, the, the ideal self, that future self that we're aiming to, towards. Uh, Marcus and Neuris also talk about the idea of possible selves. And, and What's, what yeah. was interesting is that the idea of what we want to become or what we want to avoid becoming motivates our current behaviour. So I think that's why it's important to think about those future selves because what we'd like to avoid or what we'd like to become will, will, will essentially affect how we behave in, in here and now. So mm -hmm. I, I think I always use this as an example in my lectures. I talk about how people who go down in the gym are essentially, uh, from, from my, in, my, from, in my mind, they are time travellers. Um, because they can see a future self, you know, with the ripped body and the six pack, and they can put themselves and endure all that torture of going to the gym because it's yeah. worth it. Whereas I can't project that far in the future. It's just too far off for me that I can't see that. So I'm not going to put myself through this. But they, they but they, yeah. so to me, they are, they are essentially time travellers. Um, Sorry, I've, I've lost lost. The, 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 we, <laughs> we, we, you were talking about um, the self and um, kind of the oughts. So yeah, we yes. have the ought. So I think I think the, the, the point I'm trying to make is is that it, it's not on, It's not that different. If we think if we think about how you've got a Twitter profile, where it's your professional self, your professional head. That's where I want to talk about my research or where I want to talk about my job. Yeah. And then you've got your Facebook profile might be more your sort of family face. That's where I want to keep in contact and uh, make sure the kids are doing okay and, you know, post pictures about holidays and that kind of thing. And then you might have another profile like on Instagram or whatever, where that's your creative self where you say, this is where I want to show off my artwork or my photographs that I've been taking or what have you. Yeah. And that, that, that's interesting. That's, that's all well and good, but it's not really that different from, from, from offline in, in the sense that no, we're not no. the same person at work as we are at home, we're not the same person um, with our, you know, when we're out with the parents as we are when we're out with the friends. So, it, the, I guess the key difference is that, to a larger extent, when you're online, you've got much more freedom in terms of being able to manipulate or flexibility in terms of being able to manipulate that self-presentation. Mm -hmm. um, mm. That's more potentially um, useful, I guess when you're interacting with people that are strangers or people that you might not have met before. Because when people know you, there's that, as Clark and would say, it's ground, you know, that grounding that you've got, that mutual knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know each other, you've got those past experiences, you, you know, and you can draw upon that information. And if someone is kind of deviating a lot from, from what you would consider to be normal behaviour for them, more than likely you'll pick them up on that and say, wait a minute, this, this isn't really you. Um, and most people would probably suspect it's a bot or somebody's hacked their profile. Um, so in those kind of anchored contexts, you know, you can only stretch it so far. But there are lots of places online where people can communicate in a more anonymous or at least a perceived anonymous fashion. Yep. And if we think about 
um, say online support groups, for example, not uncommon for people to, to go onto those forums and to be anonymous. Um, if we look at things like online dating sites, even if you're not anonymous in the sense that you're posting pictures of yourself, it's unlikely that you're going to be interacting with people who would know you in the offline world. And I think that's it. That's why I, I talk about perceived anonymity. Um, well, I, can I can I jump in with an example there? Um, so there's there's a lot of people who who know that I do a bit of online research, particularly for um, in terms of trauma. I went on to um, so I've done a, a blog about this, um, and it's called Dick Picks and Online Dating, and it was to do with how the the number of transactions before you get sent a dick pic being a woman. Is there an algorithm for this? Is there? I, I, well, I think it's uh, either one, two, or three. Um, it's, it's very rarely <laughs> many more than that. But there was something around. <laughs> there was something around. What I was watching, and it was so interesting, were um, I'm going to call them the gentleman profiles. And I sat looking for some time at, at these profiles that looked like they were the perfect gentleman. They were courteous. It's almost like they'd gone to the book. And they've gone, this is what women are looking for. And actually, they weren't the people who they said they were. That was the enticement to start talking. And if they spoke to you, what they were looking for was a response so that they could then send uh, a dick pic. And I was looking at um, somebody who said they'd got PhD or whatever. So I asked a question and I was like, so what, what's your epistemological uh, approach? And, and uh, you know, where's your perspective? What, what, uh, I'll just put it very politely, I just got WTAF, are you on about? And I was like, yeah, there's no way you've got PhD. Um, however, they did respond with a dick pic. So it's, <laughs> it's so interesting that this is, this is the kind of thing you're talking about. Actually, people can pretend to be somebody else because it might be a fantasy. Yeah. You don't necessarily always pretend to be someone else, but um, engage in, in um, identity play, I, I, you know, by different types of identity practices so it might be there might be a whole variety of different motivations for why people um, present a version of the self online which might not necessarily be consistent with how they present the self offline one might be that it's that they're, they're, they're trying trying a, a, a different identity out mm. it's a way to find out whether that feels comfortable whether that fits whether that's something that they can then express in an offline capacity uh, you know, another reason might be so that might you might see that as as being um, yeah a way for someone to to so you know they might feel repressed potentially in terms of not being able to express the self in the way that they would like to. Mm -hmm. Or um, role play. Yeah. Or role play for sex. Role play for you yeah. know just other <laughs> Dungeons <Yeah>. and Dragons. <laughs> there might be that you know the, the things that they want to do are. are mm looked down upon by mainstream society so they might be interested in in terms of sex they might be interested in things that perhaps are a little less mainstream a little bit more um yeah interesting and and it might be that they're worried about bringing that side of themselves out in a kind of offline context and how that might then um you know the judgments that they might get and how that might potentially damage their reputation or damage their you know how other people might perceive them so there's a whole variety of reasons why people would do that um, the interesting question, I guess, is whether or not, when, let, again, we'll take a little step back here because I think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves again. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, the point which is worth bringing up here is about what people's motivations are for, 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 for managing impressions. Yeah. You know, if we think about the, the main reasons why people would try to get someone to perceive them in a specific way, 
then that kind of feeds into our understanding of why people might manipulate self-presentation in a specific way whilst they're online. Yeah. So, so there are, there are a few reasons why people might, might go about managing impressions, a few motivations for, 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 for uh, impression management. The most obvious one is to gain some sort of reward. Okay, so mm -hmm. whether that reward be a, a occupational reward, for example. So the obvious example there would be a job interview. You know, you want to manage impressions in a specific way to get the, the interviewer to, to, to perceive you in, in a way that they think you're going to be a good fit for this organisation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn my email off. That's all right. Do you think, do you think by any faint chance that we could be doing exactly that very thing whilst we're doing this podcast? <laughs> Am I being interviewed? <laughs> I'm just thinking, actually, that is the reason I do the podcast is so that people can hear it. And there's, there's a game for myself and for the guest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, we, we, it's an every, that's the thing about impression management. It's an yeah. everyday activity. Yeah. And I think um, it's hard to imagine any, any day that would go by that involved at least some form of social interaction that did not involve impression management to some mm -hmm. capacity. Mm. Um, we're always managing people's impressions. But I guess what's really interesting about, about the introduction of this type of technology is that we start, we're managing impressions much more frequently than perhaps we were before um, in terms of, you know, we're now... When we go home, we're now online. Still, we're you know we're on our on our Twitter accounts or on our Facebook accounts. So we're managing impressions much more uh, pervasively than we did uh, before the introduction of this form of technology. So yeah, the, the people can gain rewards through through impression management, whether that be occupational or social, yeah. uh, material or personal rewards, or avoid punishments in those domains as well. So you know, you, not getting a job is a punishment. Getting a job is a reward. So the failure that you might feel from not being offered a job might, you know, would be would be a punishment. But I think there are also other reasons why people. Well, there are other reasons why people manage impressions. One might be for self verification. So by presenting the self in a certain way, you're basically verifying to yourself that that's that's who I am. So I'm expressing this version of me to the world, and that's confirming to myself that that's who I am and that's what I'm all about. Um, another might be self enhancement. Mm -hmm. By expressing a certain side of the self, I might be saying, this is how I want the world to see me. I'm, I'm, expressing, I'm exaggerating potentially some aspects of self-presentation or some yeah. areas of my life to, to make it look like I'm, I'm better than I, than I actually might think I, I am. Um, and everybody does that in a job interview, obviously. And yeah. most people do it on first dates as well and on dating profiles. Yes. Well, that's that's obvious on the TV programs. <laughs> I am, yeah, I tried to steer away from stuff like that, but I am, I am always kind of watching, going, that, that's not the truth. That's it's so it's so false. <laughs> I think whether it's false or I mean, this is the interesting question: is, is which bits of it are false and which bits of it are just um, whether it's deception by commission or deception by omission. So a lot of the time, it's people. The consensus in this literature, and I'm not sure whether I necessarily agree with this, is that the vast majority of the time, people aren't deceptive in the sense that they don't lie. They actually just fail to mention certain things. Um, so leaving yeah. out bits of information rather than actually completely fabricating it. 
I, to, to be honest, Chris, some, sometimes, and I, I'm going to go with the Winnicott false self, actually, that I think sometimes that what develops in early early childhood is the way that we think we ought to be and should be, and that's what we present to the world, because to be completely true to ourselves would be too difficult. And it's, it's all about that. Um, I was just thinking when you were talking about trying out things online. So a lot of the young people, and particularly adolescents, as they're moving through their sexuality, um, their religious beliefs, etc., that's where they will go online and, and behave in different ways. And then we talk about that in the therapy room. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a, in some senses, it's a, it's a, it can be not always, obviously. And you know, you would have touched upon a lot of this in, in other podcasts. We need to talk about things like bullying and so on. Um, in some senses, it can be a safer environment to explore certain aspects of the self. Mm, mm-hmm. um, if you're trying to, you know, to come to terms with your, you know, with your sexual identity, for example, it can be a place where you can do that uh, and experiment with that without necessarily um, worrying as much about how other people in the family or friends might, might react to that. Um, but I think, you know, the, some researchers have referred to um, the online space as a tool where, where kids, adolescents in particular, um, can, can experiment with different ways of behaving, different ways of being. And, and then what's important is then they can then, on the back of, on the back of how people react to that self-presentation, is then decide whether or not to incorporate that, assimilate that into their actual self-concept. So yeah. if you look, you've got a mechanism for that straight away on something like Facebook, haven't you, and Twitter, because in the offline world, people don't go around giving you thumbs up every time you say something. Yeah. Or, or little hearts every time you do something. Whereas on Facebook, you know, if you're presenting a specific image of the self and you're getting this, this approval, um, this constant um, approval from people, that can then, okay, I'm on the right lines here. People like this. Um, I like this. I like how it feels when people react positive, positively. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, incorporate some of that into, into your own self concept. And I think in, in, during adolescence in particular, that's really important because yeah. that's the, you know, the, the, the stage in life, as, as you'll know better than anyone, where you, you're starting to work out who you are and what your place in the world is, you know, the transition from childhood to adulthood. You know, wh- wh- who am I? What, what, what am I going to do with my life? Um, so, you know, during that transition, being able to, to get, and, and I think it's not, not, unsafe to say necessarily adolescents do tend to be quite self-absorbed and that's normal you know all adolescents of every generation I'm not pointing the finger at any particular generation here you know yeah. and, and so getting you know feedback from peers seeing how they react to these types of things is you know is important for them they want you know they want to know how others feel about them and you know there's, there's a really quick and easy mechanism to do that in, in the online in the online space yeah Unless, unless, of course, you're my, uh, my adolescent. So I talk about my children quite a lot. They're, they're uh, adults, but quite often they'll say something and they go, don't do the double, th- don't do the double thumbs, mum. They did a lot. Sometimes, yeah. My, yeah. My youngest is that the right way around? Uh, it is on the camera here, so hopefully when it flicks it into gallery view, yeah, my youngest, <laughs> my youngest if I say something really interesting, goes, <laughs> lol. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wounded. I'm wounded. I quite like Noel. I've got to be honest. I quite like Noel. My <laughs> favourite though, and, and I've never. Every time I mention this, um, every year I mention this to our to our students, they always say we've never heard it. But I've heard it, and someone said it to me once. So I, I can't be the only person. Lameo. 
Oh, have you ever yes. heard of Mayo? Yeah. Uh, well, it's not quite it, yeah, but perhaps it's Mayo, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Although, although saying that, I start doing the dance from um, LMAO, uh, yeah, when they did party time. No, that's Lumfayo. Yeah, which, oh. that's Lumfayo. Oh no, that's LMFAO, isn't it? That's yeah. <gasps> oh, that'll be why the kids hate it. <laughs> You're getting it all wrong. Oh no. Right, that's me back to the drawing board. Acronyms <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, where, where are we at now? Right. Yeah, I've lost it. There's no image. Trying out things online. Ah, we go. Um, yeah, yeah, trying out things online. And um, do you know, it was really interesting. When you were talking earlier about the oughts that we ought to be, um, there, is, there is a book, this is slightly off tangent, there is a book called The Four Agreements, and it's about how, how you can be, be in your life. And one of them's about have you got integrity? Are you the same person wherever you go? You know, and do you follow your integrity? And I was just thinking, yeah, Kath, to say that you've read this book, you're not really following the integrity thing, are you having these multiple online identities and, and so on and so forth? But it's hard to be true, uh, true to a self when, there's, when, it, when the self is multidimensional. It, yeah. Well, I am, I am going to come back to two things because um, these were the two things that we wanted to talk about and we're going to run out of time. But I saw a question the other day on LinkedIn, I think it was, where somebody would asked, what what kind of regards do you sign off an email with and and it spouted a huge amount of conversation and i was just interested in in actually that that's another format of how we how we produce ourselves isn't it do we have a warm regards a best regards a best wishes a, yeah anyway well i i, I sign off uh, it depends who i'm signing off too so oh, yes if it's, if it's a, a more friendly it'll be cheers <clears throat> If it's more professional, it's usually best wishes. Yeah, but there's some people who just do BW. And I'm like, yeah. what is that? What is that? Where did that? Anyway, I don't know where this etiquette actually d evolves from, but I am all interested in all of these transactions. Because actually, when I'm listening to how people speak in the therapy room, it's their transactions and what their bodies are doing. And I'm, I'm always looking at those two things rather than the, the bigger story as well. I think you need to get David Crystal on to talk about that. All right, okay. You're writing this down, aren't you? David Crystal. I am. He's the man. Yep. Okay, well, that'll be, me. that'll be me attacking somebody else via email and every other <laughs> social media format that I can. Um, yeah, avatars and um, you, we mentioned in our chats way before the, the, the podcast um, where we can use information. Uh, so I'm just thinking about the, the podcast that I've already done with Justin and Anastasios where we talked about how information can be misrepresented and used to kind of say that actually this is my political leaning. And I'm just thinking of the Netflix example earlier. If you watch this, then you'll be in my gang almost. And it's a them, them us situation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, cause I, I'm, I'm going to go back to kind of like the avatars and, and the Proteus effect, which we haven't done. Let's talk a little bit about the Proteus effect. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think this is really interesting. So um, the Proteus effect, I mean, it was uh, Yi, and, Yi and colleagues who, who did the research around this area. What they were interested in was looking at how um, the manner in which you present yourself, the manner in which you design an avatar mm -hmm. in, in a virtual world, in a virtual environment, whether that has an impact on, on how people behave. That was the first kind of question that they're interested mm -hmm. in. So... You know, if you have an avatar that's more attractive, do that? Do they 
behave differently? Do people kind of assume some of the roles that they associate with that avatar? Do they behave slightly differently? And this relates to uh, behavioral confirmation theory. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, we, we often will stereotype people on the basis of different physical characteristics that we, uh, we say. So people that are taller, we might presume to be more dominant or more assertive and, and so on. And so, and so the, you know, what they found was this was actually the case, that when people were given avatars that were more attractive, they tended to be more flirty, more confident. When they gave people the avatars that were taller or more physically impressive looking, they mm-hmm. tended to be more confident and assertive in the way that they, they express themselves. And that, I mean, that seems like a bit of a no-brainer. What was the, the really interesting bit about the research is what happened afterwards, is that when people left those environments, um, they adopted, at least for a short time, some of those characteristics in, in the offline world. So it changed the way that they behaved. So in, a, in an offline task, the people that had previously adopted the more uh, attractive avatars continued to be more confident. The people who had previously adopted the taller avatars did, com- continued to be um, yeah. more assertive. And... Um, they explain this effect with, with um, self-perception, BEM's self-perception theory. So the idea behind that is we, we um, judge ourselves in part by how we see ourselves behaving, which, often, which might seem to most to be quite counterintuitive. So you normally think, well, I'm, I'm like this, therefore I'm going to present myself like this. Yeah. In many cases, we don't necessarily think things through that deeply. You don't plan things on a moment-to-moment basis, you just react. So you might surprise yourself sometimes, and we all do. And what, so what the idea is that, you, you know, if you go into a situation, you behave in a specific way, and then that tells you things about yourself. So if you go into a social situation and you find yourself really confident and uh, erudite and charming, you might then say, oh, yeah, okay, that, that's, that, that reflects on who I think of, how I think of me. So the idea then was that if, if people character um, stereotype these characters based on those physical properties they behave like that because that's what they thought a, a, an avatar like that should behave like yep. but then they saw them that is partly in themselves i'm behaving like this so that must reflect something about me um and that i think that's really quite interesting so the idea that you can um adopt a character an avatar or a different persona online and then that might ultimately then feed into into the way you see yourself and actually that's mm. That's not, you know, un, that's not a massive leap of imagination. And in a less kind of um, extreme example, I suppose, um, research has been done uh, where they've looked at people manipulating their Facebook profiles. And when people spend longer kind of um, changing the profiles and updating it, they end up getting a boost in self-esteem because yeah. it's positive impression management. That you're, you know, you're, you're saying, this is how I want the world to see me, and that then reflects on how you feel about yourself because you're talking about the good things, you're talking about the positive, yeah. you're not reflecting or, or dwelling on all those horrible things, those day-to-day annoyances. You're looking at the positives, and that can have a, a boost to your self-esteem. But of course, there's there's a danger there, isn't there? That actually, if it, particularly if you find it harder to express those sides of the self offline. So let's yeah. say, for example, you're quite shy and retiring, but actually, you know, some people are very comfortable with that. 
let's say you're shy and retiring, but actually you would like to be a bit more gregarious. Uh, and you don't feel that you can mm -hmm. be that way because your personality essentially is preventing you from doing that. If you can go into a space where you can be that person, I guess you might refer to that as the, the real self, if we're looking at sort of... Uh, well, yeah, yeah. It, de it depends on who's who, like I was saying earlier about the, the many many faces of therapy. depends yeah. on whose theory you're looking at. But you yeah. seen Carl Rogers there. I mean, you there, can there's, yeah, there's a real... Se <laughs> yeah. Let's just go with real self and then the, the yeah. other, other versions. The real self. The self that you feel that you are, but you're not necessarily able to express. I'm not sure we'd class that as a real... But the, so, yeah, if you can feel that you can go online and be who you want to be, the danger is, is that could be quite alluring. And actually that you might then end up spending more time online because you can express, you present yourself in a way that, that makes you happy, that makes you feel whole, makes you feel complete. That, that could then be to the detriment of your offline relationships and your offline life because... You know, I, why would I want to be anywhere else than the place where I feel like I can really be me? I, I, you know, and, and that means I might then interfere with, you know, with my offline relationships. And, and, and it does. I'm sure any therapist who works uh, with, with people that um, might display problematic kind of online behavior, uh, who, who might be worried about the amount of time they're spending online, I'm sure that that would be a recurrent theme um, that that's for some people, would be the reason why they're online um, too much. To, to be perfectly honest, the person I'm going to bring on to talk about some of this kind of stuff is, um, and I'm not sure if it's Anthony or Anthony Bean, so I've just read his um, Gaming in Therapy, and he takes quite um, a Jungian approach in terms of the hero's journey and the kind of archetypes that the players are mm -hmm. and how that becomes part of the, the person's psyche and their personality and their self-preservation and then how they use that in the real world to overcome the obstacles that they're struggling with. Um, I, my head was fizzing as you were talking and I've got loads of questions. We probably haven't got time for all of these, but I was just thinking about how much, how much the, the idea behind, and obviously I've interviewed Pat Markey already, how much about you know children playing violent games that there's this assumption that if they play a violent game, they will kind of embody that um, figure with the avatar who depends on what game they're playing doesn't it so I'm just going to say that figure um, and that that is why they're violent and actually that's not that's not what Pat or Chris have found and it's it's not in the literature so there's something about this is different to playing an avatar no, this, this, this is embodying a character yeah it? yeah something that we should be seen as being distinct from playing a video game as a character yeah. So your, your, your character's got a, a specific look. You're going on and taking on that character and being that person and interacting with other people through your, your own voice, whether that be typing or whether that be actually you know, conversing yeah. through the mic. And I think that we should see that as quite distinct from, um, from playing a video game, not just because it's a different type of activity, but also because the, the motivations that people have for doing those different things are going to be very different as well. You know, mm. you don't go and play a video game necessarily thinking, I want to be this person. You might admire the character and say, oh, that's cool that I can, I can be a kick-ass, you know, gunslinger or superhero for, you know, for half an hour. It doesn't mean you actually genuinely feel, I would like to be this person in, in, in the offline world. Whereas, you know, you might go on to a, a <clears throat> you know, a, um, 
an online environment where you can embody a character that's actually representative of someone that you're, you're aspiring to be or more has characteristics in common with something that you aspire to be like. Do you think this is where Second Life tried to, to create it more about kind of what you could do? I'm just thinking because nobody, nobody really uses Second Life anymore, do they? Some people do. It's still popular <laughs> in some communities. <laughs> I think I've got a character on there and I can't, it's one of those things, can't remember the name of the character, can't remember the email I used, uh, it's, so he, she, can't remember which one it is, we'll sit in the ether somewhere and, oh, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen to all these corpses of avatars that have just... <laughs> yeah, so I'm, oh, yeah, there is so much more that I want to ask you, but I'm aware that, you know, we are coming towards, um, uh, it's, it's nearly the end of our time and I've got... Um, uh, say a little bit about some of my research before we go. Yeah, that would be that would be great because I did say it's, it's it's your platform, Chris. Off you go. We kind of um, we touched upon it a little bit actually. The when we were talking about the uh, adolescence, there's a lot of research being done with adolescents when it comes to this self experimentation mm. side of things, and and we were trying to do to find out a little bit more about what might factors might because clearly not everybody is going to go online. And everyone will have the opportunity potentially to go online and be something else to experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not everybody takes that opportunity up. So there are some people that will go online and their online persona is almost identical to their offline one. They're just like, this is just me. Whereas some people will be much more diverse in how they present themselves and are much more fluid, flexible in terms of how they present yeah. themselves across different platforms. So we were interested a few years ago in maybe try and find out a little bit more about why there was that discrepancy. So we kind of came across the notion that it might have something to do with, with the clarity of self-concepts. So your self-concept is your basic self-perception, who am I, <laughs> what I think of myself. Um, and it's proposed that, that, that people have vary in terms of the clarity of that self-concept. So some people will um, have a much clearer and stable and consistent self-concept. So the way they present themselves from one situation to another wouldn't vary drastically. How they feel about themselves from one day to the next wouldn't vary drastically. It's pretty stable. And they, they have a good idea about If you ask them, who are you? They can just say, well, this is who I am. Yeah. Whereas some people have a, have a, a lower level of self-concept in the sense that they're, they're less stable in terms of how they perceive themselves, less sure of themselves, and so on. So we wondered what, what impact the self-concept might have uh, or clarity of self-concept might have in terms of predicting people's online experimental self-presentation behaviour. Mm -hmm. We looked at this in adolescence and we found that there was a really strong link between the two. So the, 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 the higher someone's self-concept, the more likely they were to be, to, to be consistent in terms of their self-presentation. So their offline online were much yeah. Whereas if they had a lower level of self-concept clarity, first of all, they, they were much more likely to present an idealized image of the self. And they were more likely to present multiple versions of the self across different platforms. And they were more likely to prefer being online when presenting the self to others. And we, we think it, has, it makes sense in, in the context that, um, particularly in adolescence, you're looking to resolve those kind of identity crises and actually work towards a coherent sense of self that you want to know what your place in the world is. There's no value to an individual in being unsure of the, themselves. People need to know where they are and where they're going and have some direction in life. Yep. So, so, you know, it might be that people that are less sure of who they are are using cyberspace 
um, more prevalently as an arena for, for self-discovery. To, to, and, and they do that through self-presentation, as we mentioned earlier, using it as a tool to, to, to try out different forms of self-presentation to see which one is most comfortable, which one fits, and which, which one yeah. other people will respond to favourably. Oh, wow. That, I might actually, at the end of this, I think I'm going to email you anyway, because I'd like to get that under the bit that I've done about adolescence. And uh, so in, in the book that I'm writing at the minute, I've talked about adolescence and brain changes, empathy switch off, why they, why they try things. And actually, the example I gave was, um, so in my generation, it was punk or psychobilly. So you went out and you did your hair differently. And the kind of feedback that you got was either shock or, or um, laughter. And that's how you kind of built up either your tolerance for it or you kind of decided, yeah, this is for me. So I'm, I'm just seeing lots and lots of similarities between what young people are doing online as to what we all did. But there's something about there's a visual feedback, isn't there? Like you talked about the number of likes and hearts and so on. Um, you can reach a bigger, you can reach a bigger. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can, you can get feedback from people. Like if you're into something that's quite unique and say niche, um, or, or, you know, let's say K-pop, for example. I only found out about this the other week. I never even heard of it. Uh, if you're into K-pop, it might be that, you know, obviously the real hardcore fans are going to be in Korea. They're not going to be over in you. And it might be that you can access a community. Particularly, I mean, I think it's starting to become more popular over here now. <laughs> um, but back in the early days, and if you were into that, it might be that, you know, you, to, to be able to get access to the fans and the people that really like it, you can only communicate with those people via the online via the online world, unless you want to spend you know spend loads of money on travelling and plane tickets and the likes. So you can you know you might again this has an impact on self presentation because if you can be in a space where you feel like you're with like minded individuals, people, mm -hmm. people who can relate to you, it's much easier for, for you to talk about things and to express yourself and to be yourself when you're talking to people who are like you, that understand you, that maybe have a similar yeah. ideas about the world, similar ways of, of perceiving the world. Um, so that's another another advantage, I guess, of, the, of online, particularly if you're into, you're, you're into things that are quite unique and different. Yeah, I'm doing... Those communities that would be harder to reach. Yes, underground. Underground is, is underground no more. Yeah, exactly. There's no such thing anymore, is there? Yeah. Right, uh, uh, well... I have to, I mean, I have to shoot off now because of uh, uh, client work and, and still continuing to work. Um, thank you for being on the podcast. Where can people find you? Okay, um, people can find me um, by going to the University of Wolverhampton website. Yep. Um, best way to get, get, get to there is www.wlv.ac.uk. And if you put forward slash crew, which is spelled C-R-U-W, that will take you to our, our Cyber Psychology Research Group's webpage. From there, you can find out information about the people that work with us in our Cyber Psychology Group uh, and also about the work that we're doing currently and me. And you can find out about our, our MSc program in Cyber Psychology. Yes, we did say we would try and squeeze that in. So obviously, I'm going to put all the MSc um, information down there because there may be people who listen to this who now want to go and do an MSc in Cyber I Psychology. So. I, I would recommend... Been. In fact, I said this on Linda's, we need more people doing research in this area. It is so vast. We need to catch up in terms of numbers of people. But I will put all of we your do. details. Yeah. Only, I mean, today, we're in terms of, we could we could have a part two with this. We've only really touched we, the surface. There's lots more stuff we could have talked about. Oh, we will. <laughs> we will, because I'm going, oh, my God, I've got so many more questions. So, um, yes. I'd be delighted um, to answer them. Until next time, Chris. 
thank you ever so much for spending same your time. Same bat channel, same bat place. Yeah. Station. Yes, and, and more pictures of the puppies because they're, um, they're, they're very cute. <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you very much. And Pleasure. take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.